Welcome back to Press Coverage. I'm Theo Greminger. Um, on this podcast, we, we like to say that we're looking for sharp takes, actionable info, and we're trying to identify those edges that can help you win your fantasy leagues. I think that the reason I started this podcast is it's getting more and more difficult to find those edges in the information age where everybody's bombarded with constant information. But one of the ways that we can it's it's a simple game, right, Rich? One of the ways that it, that is easy to win in this game is if you can identify mispriced quarterbacks. And one person in this industry who's well known for his ability to uncover the top notch potential for quarterbacks, maybe not at the top of ADP, is my guest Rich Rebar. Um, Rich came up with the term Konami code. It's like it's like the word to Google something at this point, Rich. Like people use Konami code. Um, and in like the common vernacular when we're discussing quarterbacks with scrambling ability. Uh, and and you came up with that. I think it was like maybe 2012, 2013. And we saw how effective that was with quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson in 2019. Uh, and now it's getting a little more difficult. So we're going to dive into the quarterback position a little later on this show. But uh, I just want to say welcome, Rich. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find your awesome work? Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that intro. You know, it, it makes me feel really old. You know, this year, this September will actually be 10 years that I wrote that Konami Code article. Uh, and, you know, trying to read any of your work that you wrote 10 years ago, the, the top-down theme and the premise of Konami Code still exists, but the way that article is written, and just, it's so cringy for me to read, like, how I wrote 10 years ago. Uh, it's really tough to get through, but that does date me uh, in the industry. It's nice to see that, like, it's uh, still going strong and, all these mobile and it's honestly the greatest time ever for Konami QBs, uh, literally. But yeah, you can check out all my work at sharpfootballanalysis.com. We've been just cranking all summer. Me and Ray Summerlin are actually putting together a draft kit over there. So uh, we've been putting out a lot of stuff here since 4th of July, especially. Yeah, so I uh, actually retweeted or I tweeted out uh, one of your recent articles and uh, we're going to dive into some of that red zone uh, information that you've been you've been diving into. I thought it was great. Some of the statistical analysis you do. Uh, you know, from from the face looks simplistic, but you dive into it with with such force and you find those awesome edges. So it's it's really, really awesome to see. Before we get to our break uh, for for word from our sponsors, one thing that I've asked pretty much every single person that's come on press coverage with uh, with me or first class fantasy with Billy Muzio and I uh, is, is there a particular player like if you could pick anyone in football right now? and you could know their final stats for the season, who would it be? Maybe it's somebody that unlocks other teammates. Maybe it's somebody who has just a wide range of possibilities. Is there one player that you're just dying to see how he does this season? Uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's just one player. I think that you could basically, you could pick out whichever one you want. But I think my entire like tier seven quarterbacks, like if, I, I wish we could uncover the cards for all of them, but any single one would reveal a lot to say about the offenses you know that that group of the, the young what do we have quarterbacks the kenny pickett's uh, obviously you can you, you can include bryce young and cj stroud there but desmond ritter jordan love sam howell and whoever san francisco quarterback is uh any any of those like just unlock so much you know does it does it if kenny pickett if you see his stats you know does it make deontay johnson and george pickens pat fryermuth look better uh, the Falcon situation in general, right? Like, is it if you see Desmond Ritter's like output, is it just another year where it's a pass heavy or run first offense and we don't get any passing production? Is does it is this the Kyle Pitts like explosion year? Like, can we get in that? Obviously, Jordan Love with Christian Watson right now, he's kind of like the hot button guy for people now. Like, people are treating him like this year's Game Davis when there's really nothing really comparable about like their peripheral, you know production that from Gabe Davis coming into last year and then uh Christian Watson now this year uh even I think you could even include Mac Jones into that group too as well but uh that that entire tier of guys for sure if we if I could just know that it would reveal a lot about those offenses because those are the cheap offenses right now right like that's where all the cheap guys are and uh, if we knew like the the few guys that hit in that area uh we could we could have a little come up the beauty of that question though is with fantasy football that I like about that is even if you knew the season-long stats of a player the beauty of fantasy football is like it still might not even matter as much as you think. So like if I even like put let's flip this question and say you knew the stats of every NFL player, right? You would have an edge for sure, but if you didn't know the distribution of those points, because because fantasy football is not scored on a bell curve, 
like you could still lose fantasy leagues. And that's like the, the gift and the curse of fantasy football, right? Like it's crazy because you look at like Travis Kelsey last year, he provided all this positional leverage. And if you knew that going in, you'd say, man, I'm going to wreck with Travis Kelsey. But when you got to the fantasy playoffs, you know, if you had George Kittle or TJ Hawkinson, you were able to combat Travis Kelsey led teams. Uh, it's just the beauty of fantasy football, man. You can know the whole season long stats, but if you don't know the distribution of the points, you might get weeks four through six where a guy has like three or four spike weeks and gets you wins, but then is like dead in the fantasy playoffs, right? Like Joe Mixon, right? Like you have the Joe Mixon player or like Cam Akers, who his season long stats look like shit, but fantasy playoffs, he was smashing and in, in, in leading fantasy teams to titles. So like that's the greatest thing about fantasy football, man, is uh, even when we have the answers, we don't have them. The- uh, but I'll tell you what, Rich. If I could go full Biff Tannen and know all the final stats, I, I think I'd I think I'd win enough money this year to, to yeah, cover you'd up have for a couple edge. of bad week seventeens for sure. Yeah, you'd have an edge. It's just great because you could still lose. I, I love that you include Kenny Pickett in that one because I think that a lot of times we see these year one quarterbacks like if they they have a rookie season where people start to really poke holes in them, a lot of times they're kind of left for dead. It reminds me slightly about like the Jared Goff year two bounce. Uh, where he was kind of left for dead, and then he kind of elevated the weapons around him. And uh, it's definitely an offense where, you know, I want to like I want to like George Pickens. I drafted him in an FFPC main event recently. He's falling. There's a lot of people beating him up. Where are you at on Pickens specifically, Rich? Because I heard uh, a best ball take that you dropped recently where you were talking about Pickens as a guy you really want to draft. And Deontay Johnson, who's a, a big-time riser um, recently, as a guy you're really not that interested in, is it really more of a searching for an edge and upside versus a kind of a, a purgatory potential player in, in Deontay? Or is it something else you saw in Pickens' game? Yeah, you know, I expected this offseason to kind of come in and be out on George Pickens. Uh, you know, you look at kind of like, it's like uh, the way Matt Canada used him. Does he end up just being kind of on the Devontae Parker, Mike Williams kind of spectrum? But then like everyone else kind of came in being out on him as well. And like, he's just kind of hung around like the wide receiver 40 range. And to me, like for a player of like that archetype, like that's a proper price point. I think like Cortland Sutton, where he's fallen this year too, is like, that's the proper price price point to take like a shot on that archetype of wide receiver because they still get the types of targets that carry a lot of fantasy football leverage you know vertical targets uh, are high value targets near the end zone like that's where you want to those are the targets you want or Deontay Johnson is great at earning targets and we always want those guys that earn targets but there still is like a question of Deontay Johnson like the targets he's earning still have never like functionally done anything for the offenses he's been in and is that just a chicken and egg thing? Is it, you know, just because of Ben Roethlisberger and rookie year, can he pick it? Like the state of where Ben was at the end of his career, that's contributed to like the low yards per target and the low yards per catch Deontay's had. Because um, no player with as many receptions as him since he entered the league has a lower yards per catch than Deontay Johnson. Um, so now he's getting steamed, you know, through like, you know, I know Matt Harmon put out some stuff, Seth Walter put out some stuff on him. But for fantasy, like, is he still like a splash play player? And you kind of have like that rushing nesting doll of guys that are very similar, like Chris Godwin's in that area. I think DeAndre Hopkins now is in that area as well. Guys that we know are going to earn targets, but they have offensive questions still, and they maybe not have the ceilings that we kind of want. So it just comes to the point, too, when you look at like the way I've been drafting my teams this summer, too. By the time Deontay Johnson's ADP comes up, even with the rise, I'm more looking for like adding more upside wide receivers on my team because I've already got really good wide receivers probably at that point. So I want to keep just trying to bludgeon people. Uh, But if you are someone that's gone like running back heavy uh, to open and you kind of need like that stable production at wide receiver, I think Deontay Johnson does fit like those builds uh, at that point of the draft. But typically by the time uh, he comes up, I'm not really looking for that archetype receiver. But when we get to that point of where like, George Pickens is up and, you know, Cortland Sutton's up and, you know, uh, Gabe Davis is in that area. Jahan Dotson, like th- those are the guys, that's a hotbed of guys. Like those are guys that can smash like a wide receiver 40 spot with like a, a proper season. What if Deontay Johnson got hurt, right? In the range of this outcomes for George Pickens. If Deontay Johnson, the, the primary target earner in the offense got hurt, it only makes George Pickens move up the ladder of earning targets because the ball goes to your best players. Uh, that he'd be by default, by proxy, moving up to be one of the better players in the offense. So there's a lot of things that uh, make me say like, hey, I didn't really love this player coming in when I expected this offseason to start. But like the price is right. I think the archetype is right. And we love betting on year two wide receivers anyways. So he could make a larger jump than people think too. Yeah, and it's like you hear some analysts with with George Pickens and – you know, I realize like, you know, there's the the analytical take where, you know, some people don't like him with the analytics. Some people don't like him when he doesn't separate. But at the end of the day, we've seen such growth 
from year two receivers in under Mike Tomlin. I mean, it's 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 been continual. Chase Claypool, uh, slight regression in in uh, points as a year two player because of the touchdowns, but the usage was the same. You bring up Deontay Johnson, he went way up. Juju Smith Schuster went way up. Uh, Martavis Bryant went up. You obviously, you know, we go back to Antonio Bryant, but uh, you saw Pat Fryermuth take a take a big leap last year, nearly crack a hundred uh, targets. So. I, I think that the Pickens hate has gone a little far. I was glad to see you on him. We're going to hit a number of other positions and edges that we can find this year uh, after we take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors. Oh, baseball season's heating up. It's all about baseball right now. You know, eh, baseball, baseball. Yeah, baseball is the most exploitable of the sports, especially on Rival Fantasy, rivalfantasy.com. Go there now. They have the fantasy book where you can take over under a certain number of fantasy points, and they have challenges where you can take player X or player Y. I get great pleasure out of fading Mike Trout into oblivion. And then don't forget about Fantasy Bingo, where you can say, okay, I think Acuna's going to steal a base today. I think that Freddie Freeman's going to have two hits based on the matchup. The lefty-righty and the pitcher-quality matchups that you could exploit are unlike any other sport. Go to RivalFantasy.com, use the promo code PLAYER, they refund any losses up to 50 bucks. And they are a great supporter of Player Profiler. Everything we do, this show in particular, is only possible because of Rival. RivalFantasy.com. The promo code is PLAYER. Welcome back to Press Coverage. Theo Greminger here with Rich Rebar. Rich, you a baseball guy? Uh, I follow baseball, but that's how I started, you know, in the industry. was like doing baseball, fantasy baseball stuff because, you know, a lot of the statistics were accepted and, it took a while to beat down that door in football before we got here now. Uh, but just too much to cover, man. It's too, too, too daunting. It's too long. Yeah, I enjoy going to a baseball game, but I, I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't tell you a whole lot right now uh, about what's going on. It's like, you know, pure, pure diving into football and maybe a couple of other distractions here or there that are non-football related. Um, but I, I, I can't do it. Some of the I, I do have a lot of respect for we actually see a number of really highly successful fantasy baseball drafters who are also successful as fantasy football drafters hats off to those guys uh but that's definitely not for me uh one thing i really want to touch on i'm pretty pretty much everybody's going to ask you this this week the saquon barkley josh jacobs situation uh we can go on forever about how contracts are structured and about how like you know the unfair nature of of the way things are right now in the current cba for these running backs but I think we got to concentrate on how we're going to win this year, Rich. And right now I'm starting to see some early third round Saquon Barkley, especially on underdog. And I'm starting to see late third round Josh Jacobs. Are you in or out on these guys at these prices? I mean, if you're playing in best ball, I think this is the spot where you you have to use this as kind of like a FOMO, right? Like if you're going to sprinkle in any exposure to these guys, because this would probably be the lowest they are. If you're drafting like redraft leagues and stuff, like it's it makes it a lot more trickier. But in these best ball leagues and an underdog, I think this is the spot where you kind of try to buy the dip. I haven't drafted Josh Jacobs once uh, all summer. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll at least just get him once or twice here. But he's he was he had a scary profile anyways uh coming in uh Saquon obviously we know if he does suit up it's because it's so hard right to believe that these guys are going to sit out just because of what happened to Le'Veon Bell it was just uh, like does that end up being like like something that uh you know really kind of when when the fire hits like the road here man like it's uh does it stop everybody like from saying like I have to report now because I can't punt a year I can't punt a salary uh because you know 10 million dollars is still a lot of money yeah, 100%. And also, I think that, uh, you know, with the Le'Veon Bella, I thought you had a wonderful uh, a wonderful point that it's kind of the cautionary tale about how even when you're at the pinnacle of your game, extremely productive in terms of fantasy and NFL production, that year off really hurt Bell. He came in and he looked he looked cooked. Um, so it's, it, you know, I don't know. For, for me, I think that I really hope that these players uh, report and play. I think uh, these kind of things are always a little bit ugly in terms of fantasy builds. It's going to ruin a lot of these mm-hmm. best ball builds. Um, but I, I truly believe they'll they'll come to an understanding. I, I feel like the Giants are so pot committed to Saquon Barkley organizationally. Uh, the the Raiders, I don't know what they're going to think. I think that like the Raiders, it's like kind of all bets are off. But I know the Giants. It's like they have a lack of a lack of playmakers. They were so reliant upon Saquon. He's an unbelievably popular player for them. So I, I hope they they reach an understanding, kind of a like we saw with Eckler, where maybe one side the sides kind of come together. 
but uh, a lot of uh, a lot of anger uh, definitely on the Saquon camp right now. So it, it remains to be seen. And Jacobs, I'm with you. Like the amount of touches he had last year, he's he seemed like an obvious fade. But when you start seeing him at that like three four turn, it's yeah. it's hard not to press that button once in a while. Yeah, because by then, I mean, if you're especially if you're playing on underdog right now, or just like the 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 meta is to just hammer these wide receivers. Uh, by the time you're getting to that that third round you're in the weeds at wide receiver. Like you're in a real area where there's not like the margins are really tight at wide receiver, right? Like what's the difference? What could potentially be the difference between like T Higgins and, and Terry McLaurin, right? Like it, it could be, it could end up being flipping, but like you have like a group of like maybe 12 to 15, 16, 17 wide receivers in that area that like, they're all kind of similar. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's paths for a lot of those wide receivers. It, it becomes kind of difficult and, you know, that's a great segue because we've seen the wide receiver position get really steamed up in like an FFPC draft. Uh, if we drafted tonight, Rich, you would see 14 of the first 24 picks be wide receivers. Occasionally you see like a weird start where it's like 15 of the top 24. The same thing you're seeing on an underdog where the wide receivers are getting pulled up. And for years, we've talked about the dead zone. And this year, I think that the dead zone we had Josh Larkey on last week, um, who's done some tremendous work on the dead zone and, and kind of players that have hit out of it. And he kind of thinks that the dead zone now starts like when we get to like Joe Mixon. It's a little bit pushed back than where, you know, previous seasons, maybe we're talking about like the third, occasionally late second guys or dead zone backs. Are you seeing it as a as a changing of the dead zone or is it just the, the, the same old uh, guys are now appropriately priced, um, and there's really no edge trying to chase these backs. I mean, I, I think it starts with the first round, <laughs> this especially. But no, I mean, so like there's been a lot of people talk about like the way people are drafting wide receivers this season has the dead zone kind of shifted. So first of all, like the dead zone, the way I understand it from like the proper definition, and I know that someone like J.J. Zacharyson treats it the same way, and I think Ben Gretsch, who kind of came up with like the, the, the coinage of the term, treats the same way. It's 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 not where running backs are being drafted compared to wide receivers. It's still where like that cliff is inside the position and the front of the position. We've been really good at diagnosing where the good running backs come from. And the reason you would take them compared to wide receivers at the front of the draft, it's the only spot of the draft where they kind of compete front end running backs compete with front end wide receivers. Then it immediately drops off. And that's why the, like the coin of the dead zone has kind of come to be uh, popular vernacular because uh, there's nothing worse than you can have in your fantasy lineup than replacement level running back production. It's by far, it provides the least amount of leverage uh, in your weekly lineup. And that's kind of why it exists, right? That's why the, the game has shifted. And then also when you combine like all that now with the way just the NFL is operating now, running backs, I mean, think about, think about this last year, we had the best rushing season the NFL's had in over a decade. The NFL averaged uh, the most yards per carry they've ever average in an NFL season. We had the highest rate of rushing touchdowns in an NFL season since 2008. And we still, we only had four running backs average 20 touches per game. Uh, running back production league wide continued to drop off even in the most efficient season uh, per, per touch. Uh, it's just the, the game is changing now either through committees and the mobile quarterbacks. Uh, we just not are seeing a lot of high end, you know, three down running backs anymore. So I think that like, if you were to like twist my arm, uh, with not being flippant and saying it starts in the first round, I would say after Bijan Robinson would be where I would say like it, it, it basically is. Uh, so if you're just looking at, at, at ADP, uh, maybe he's not the, the, the clear cutoff because he goes fourth, but he's like, kind of like where I have in my rankings, like him and then like Tony Pollard. And then like, we're into a bunch of guys that don't play three downs. Right. And maybe we see Joe Mixon play third passing down this year. Maybe we see Nick Chubb play passing down this year when you look at those depth charts. Um, but they still take a leap of faith, right? Like it's, and in that archetype of running back is significantly needed a lot of touchdowns to compete for like the Jonathan Taylor season two years ago, right? Like Jonathan Taylor had basically no receiving production two years ago when he was the RB one and he was the lowest scoring RB one of basically the last 10 years. Um, but he scored 20 touchdowns. So like you have to get like with that archetype of running back, you have to flirt with that 20 touchdown season. And that's tough to bet on, right? Like it's just hard to say like my guy's going to get 20 touchdowns. Yeah, no, for sure. And and that's a, I really would like to pick your brain on this one because Nick Chubb is a guy that we're starting to see steam way, way up uh, in high stakes and also an underdog. 
where there's kind of the belief that this is going to be his career year. I think that the Cleveland offense, we talked a little bit in the pre-show how you ask anybody the offense that's going to break out this year and take a big step forward. Most people are saying Cleveland at this point. Uh, there's obviously a lot of Baltimore and, and Los Angeles Chargers, but the Cleveland one is like Stefanski year three, Nick Chubb stayed healthy all last year. Let's push Nick Chubb extremely high up in ADP. Let's push Amari Cooper up in ADP. And Elijah Moore is probably headed back to where he was drafted last year at this point. So let's talk about Chubb. Last year, we saw a year six back uh, finish as RB1 overall. We hadn't seen that before since Jamal Charles. Now people are starting to say this is Nick Chubb's year. He can finish RB1 overall. Uh, they have pushed uh, back Rich on saying that, you know, we think he's, his receiving work is going to go up. Where are you at on Chubb when it's Chubb versus maybe some of these extremely high-end early second round wide receivers? Yeah, I opened up the year really high on Chubb when he was in the third round, was getting a lot of him. Now I've cooled a little bit since the like the steam has come because he still is fragile, right? Like he he didn't catch a single pass on third down last year. He only ran 17 pass routes on third down. Uh and you look at the Browns depth chart and you say, will they trust any of these other guys on passing downs? You know, could he get those? He could. It does exist in the range of outcomes. Uh, but then you also do have to factor in that he does play with a, a running quarterback. Uh, so even if Deshaun Watson rushes for, say, four touchdowns, which is not an absorbent number, that's four Nick Chubb touchdowns he can't have. Like, so there is still that impact. Deshaun Watson, he was 21st in, in running back target rate uh, for all quarterbacks that threw the ball 100 more times last year. Uh, so what's the ceiling of receptions Nick Chubb can get? Like, granted, more than he maybe has ever had. But, like, is he going to get 50? Probably not. Is he going to get 40? Still probably thin. Like, you're probably looking at, like, the 30, 35 range. He'd be happy to have those. But, like, can a guy be the RB1 overall? with a guy that, that maybe loses three to four rushing touchdowns from his mobile quarterback and maybe doesn't get past 40 receptions. That's a very hard bet to make. Uh, so when I look at Nick Chubb, I'm kind of looking to see when that firewall ends. I still like him if I opened wide receiver. So I think it depends where you're drafting. So I think the front of drafts, the way ADP has played out, it's kind of swerved you into maybe going like elite wide receiver running back, running back, and then you just hammer wide receivers the rest of the way. So if you say you start Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Cooper Cup, Tyreek Hill, whatever your flavor is or whatever order you get those guys. And when you come back in the second round and you've already hit that wide receiver firewall, say like Garrett Wilson's already gone, Jalen Waddle's already gone, then I think it makes sense to go like Nick Chubb with another running back and then you kind of just hammer wide receiver the rest of the way out. So it's kind of like nuance dependent, but uh, I do think that where he is elevated now has made me – not feel as strongly and not as much conviction. It's like, cause this true range of outcomes. I don't really, I think it's very thin. He could be the actual RB one overall. Yeah. I completely agree with you. That would be his career season. And I have trouble betting on guys uh, in year six, having their absolute career season. I, especially at the running back position, I guess, call me an ageist one. Uh, let's go quick OTC. Cause this has been uh, polarizing. Bijan left Austin Eckler briefly. Now Austin Eckler is back ahead of Bijan. Uh, underdog, FFPC, NFFC, you name it. Where are you at, OTC, Eckler or Robinson? I still lean Eckler just because of the, the the team overall scoring potential for the Chargers, and obviously he's had so many touchdowns the past years. I will say that like you could tear down any of these guys at the front, though. Like even Austin Eckler, like this is a team that like you know I was on. You said you listened to the show with me and Rob. Like we basically said like. This is still, it has to be a team that like could take one of these like veteran running backs floating around. Like the, the, these, this, this vagabond backups that they've, they've just been floating out there along with Austin Eckler were so bad last year. I mean, the, they averaged 3.3 yards per carry, the non Eckler running backs in this offense last year. They didn't even average a full yard before, uh, after contact per carry. It's just like this, this place is screaming for them to add one of these guys. I'm surprised they haven't like nibbled a little bit because they've got nothing out of, you know, Josh Kelly, Larry Roundtree, Isaiah Spiller, uh, out of these guys. Um, but yeah, you know, Eckler's pushing the age, the age group too. But like, I mean, you can tear down any of these guys. Like I wouldn't put, I'm not like against anyone that like wants to take Bijan there is what I'm saying. Well, let's, let's take it a step down with running backs. Um, now we're kind of deep in the dead zone. Uh, I want to pick your brain briefly. Alexander Madison's up to RB19. This guy's extremely polarizing. I saw Evan Silva moved him up to like 24 overall. And there's some guys like the Podfather is completely out. Matt is uh, thinks he's going to be one of the biggest busts this season. I think that there's some people that are kind of in the middle here. Where do you view Madison, a guy who couldn't crack 100 carries last year, same coaching staff? 
Yeah, that's taking weird. this. Yeah, it's super weird. And he also <laughs> like one other stat that I, I thought was interesting for him is we kind of have DFS take lock with Madison where you simply remember like the it's easy to remember like the big 30 point 25 point weeks when he was DFS chalk, but he's only had in his entire career two consecutive weeks where he was an RB2 back to back weeks. It's just like the weirdest thing ever where a guy pr- produces and then can't cut into Dalvin Cook's work at all. He's just either playing every down or he's completely off the field. So where where are you at on Madison at RB19? We like the offense, but there's obviously some red flags for a player just jumping up like this. Yeah, Madison's very, very tricky. And obviously, you know, if you're in like current drafts, you lost a ton of closing line value anyways for the... Oh yeah, <laughs> for, for sure. You're definitely, you're definitely playing behind. But underdogs introducing so many new contests. Like yeah, so the, gonna, yeah, the, it, 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 there's always new context of of his ADP because he's going to be taken at a. He's not. Those teams didn't get him at RB thirty or thirty five or wherever he was going. But he's tricky, and, and the whole situation is just weird because you talked about it. Like the same regime had him last year and didn't even give him the football. He had a career low eighty nine touches. Uh, he was awful with his touches too. By the way, I mean in the past two years he's been horrendous. Um, you know, uh, there's been 74 running backs that have hundred more carries the past years. He's 68th in yards for carries, 45th in success rate, 43rd in explosive run rate, 42nd in yards created after contact. Uh, then you kind of go and look at the Minnesota passing game. Like Dalvin cook's re- receiving production had done nothing but continuously decline. Right. And they didn't throw the running backs at all last year. Um, he was one, Madison was one of 69 running backs to run 100 more pass routes last year. He was 52nd in yards per catch, 59th in yards per outrun, 58th in uh, target rate per outrun. So, like, it's really hard. And you, because people always want to look at the splits, right? When Dalvin Cook was out, but like, there's a big difference in between Dalvin Cook missing a game and the depth chart being manipulated versus them entering the season without Dalvin Cook. I compare it to like, like a lot of people are doing the Aaron Jones with Devontae Adams splits last year. And I was like, these don't mean anything. Like it's, it's a totally different scenario, uh, but it's easy. It's easy to cut through. It's easy to make a, for people to make a point that way. And the Vikings in general too, I think they should scare people. I think the Vikings should definitely scare people as an offense. I've done like a team regression series all week and they popped multiple times as an offense that could be potentially worse than we think it is. Obviously when you look at the game scripts, the Vikings had last year, like it's hard to believe they're going to sustain those and be in kind of those circumstances they scored 19 touchdowns in the fourth quarter last year uh by far the most in the nfl they're just in these jailbreak scenarios the offensive line fell apart the defense fell apart just a weird team in general um that we could see potentially be worse and it could be a Derek carr situation too with the vikings like what if kirk cousins kirk cousins has the worst year of his career last year it's crazy because the vikings won the most games with him uh since his career because they so won many all these so many variants yeah, yeah so many close 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 like <laughs> edge of your seat final minute wins and so many wins by like three points or less it's obviously obvious regression and it's like when you start talking about the nfc north and you start saying which team finishes last they could be a first to last type team couldn't they rich yeah and i mean they 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 got rid of two of their best pass rushers it's 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 a tricky situation and then if you end up getting like the the or kirk cousins doesn't play at some point of the year which you know that takes guesswork but it does exist in the range of outcomes because they have no ties to him beyond this year um it's really hard so i think the thing with madison that i have the lar- largest point though is like and in and it comes back to my philosophy of playing fantasy football is you're thinking about drafting a player and if you if your argument for the player does not start with the player himself which i very rarely hear brought up with matt alexander madison right like when everyone talks about alexander madison from like the positive stance of fantasy football it's never about alexander madison how good of a player he is it's about the situation he's in or the offense he's in it's never about alexander madison himself and that to me, those are always red flags, right? When you don't, when the argument for the player is not, doesn't start with the player, then that's I have a lot of misses in my fantasy career for situations like that. Cause you think you can read a situation where we believe an offense is going to be good. We believe a situation is going to go runway, but it doesn't because the player ends up just not being as good. Right. And it, you know, it was like Dalton Schultz last year, like all these situations where like, if you don't start with the player, it's a red flag for me, and I never hear anyone start with Alexander Madison, the player, as on the pro side of making an argument for Alexander Madison. I love that one. I think another good way of looking at the running back position is if, like, Kareem Hunt in August can sign with that team and and torpedo that guy's value, then he's probably not a great value right now. Um, so, and I wanted to kind of stay with this range of running back because, you know, a lot of people with the the – you know, the wide receiver enthusiasm we see at the start of drafts, Rich, 
are diving into this range here, you know, maybe for their RB2. And I had a, a very strong, like, zero RB start where I dove into Cam Akers as my RB1. Um, where are you at with the Akers, Madison, J.K. Dobbins, Miles Sanders tier? Because I'm starting to see those guys go right around one another. You can kind of, you know, the Dobbins one, I'd say he's kind of the one people are maybe the most enthusiastic about now. now. There's some Sanders truthers. And I like Akers. Where are you at with this this uh, set of running backs? Yeah, it's tricky. Dobbins still goes in a spot where I still largely like the wide receivers more. Just and you know, it's it's a bummer because I think J.K. Dobbins as a player, he has like in his range of outcomes to be something special. I just don't think that he's got the requisite receiving upside playing attached to Lamar Jackson, and the, maybe the requisite touchdown upside too because Lamar Jackson's rushing ability near the red zone uh, to maybe just like outright smash right. Uh, so he still goes in an area where I, I really want to have some J.K. Dobbins, but like I still just largely gravitating to wide receivers there. Akers is the one guy where it's like he's past like kind of the wide receiver firewall. Like you're in no man's land at wide receiver where Akers is going. So uh, I tend to gravitate more towards him, especially with the way I've been building kind of a lot of my teams anyways. Like it, that's when I'm kind of dipping back into the running back pool. And he's got that three down kind of potential. Another guy that probably isn't going to catch enough passes that we want. Um, but he's kind of the one guy that, that I could be talked out of those guys that have kind of the dead zone ish profiles. Uh, they're, they're absolutely dead zone ish, but, uh, <laughs> but it's a little bit, again, it's a little cheaper. I'm not having to use yeah. like my fourth round pick on them. Uh, I know that's kind of a cheap cop out, but I guess structurally it's a little less risk when they're, they're going in that range. Um, last year we saw the, a bunch of these like, Hey, I guess I'll take them here. Guys, they all smashed. We saw obviously Josh Jacobs was like a league winner. Then Miles Sanders was a top 15 running back on one of the league's best offenses. Amari Cooper finishes as a wide receiver one and Tyler Lockett for like the 80th year in a row crushes his ADP. <laughs> where where are you at this year? Tell us, are there any kind of like boring guys, maybe some veterans that you think the market is slightly too low on that in their range of outcomes have this sort of ceiling? Yeah, I think it's, a, I mean, you look at down the line, I think you could say, and we'll see where his ADP ends up settling. So I think there was some fear that, uh, you know, he could be released, but uh, Joe Mixon stands out for sure where he goes. I, like I said, that could be just an ADP thing. Like he could, he'd be a riser. Cause we see Najee rise too. And I could see Mixon totally jumping him. Uh, Keenan Allen, James Connor, even, yep. uh, both Tampa Bay wide receivers, uh, for sure. Uh, I mean, I look at Brandon Cooks at wide receiver 43. It seems absolutely just nuts to me. Um, all those guys stand out. These the, the vet, It's the vet guys, right? Like you're waiting for either a guy to fall off a cliff. Uh, we think a guy's hit like the, the, the wall. Um, those are kind of like the guys that you talk about. Yeah, I love that you bring up the Tampa Bay wide receivers. I, I've also been kind of saying that I think that they're both going to beat their ADPs. It reminds me a little bit about Seattle, like Seattle last year, where DK and Lockett were both getting pushed down. Um, but it, it looks to me like it's going to be a very consolidated target tree with those two guys and a little bit of Rashad White. So even if Tampa Bay's terrible, at the end of the day, I think that like Baker Mayfield or if it's Trask are going to be less likely to spread the ball around than maybe Brady was. And there's going to be less dump downs for the running backs in general. So I think that like Godwin's caught over 200 balls the last two years and Evans you're starting to see go like extremely late. So I, I, I'm with you on those two. Brandon Cooks is an interesting one. Um, we had Jordan McNamara on, on the GOAT district uh, this week, and uh, Jordan McNamara is all, also all over Brandon Cooks. It's interesting because Dalton Schultz is, is no longer a cowboy. Zeke is gone, and, you know, we have Pollard and Lamb. But after that, like, I, uh, Brandon Cooks is, is sneaky. Like, he's got wide receiver two potential. Um, I, I like that one a lot. I want to take it. I think over the Cowboys to... in general are going to be a team that throw way more than people think because of the dumb comments Mike McCarthy's made. Uh, you know, when you hear a coach speak like that, it's it's like hard to stock because they don't know like true like the the true amount of like rushing splits. Like we had the Washington GM come out and said they want to run the ball to two to run rate. Like nobody does that. That's never happened in NFL history. Like so, like people will take those comments. I think the one thing with Dallas you maybe are a little worried about is the defense is just so damn good that. Like they do have the, maybe like they're of a, um, a stem away from like what the Eagles situation had last year. We're just like in the second half of games. They're not aggressive. Um, but this team, when you look at the way the Cowboys are physically like structurally built, cause they're just, they're meant to play like with, with like speed and space. Like this whole offense is built with speed and space. 
And like for them to just line up and run Tony Pollard 300 times, like that's not going to happen. They're going to have Tony Pollard 300 carries. Like that's not like, and, um, and I think Cowboys are going to throw a lot more than people, than people, the public does. Yeah, no, I, I like that take a lot. And I think that if you just look at like kind of their personnel and, and kind of reading the room of, hey, we're, we're trying to compete here with Philadelphia, San Francisco, Detroit. I mean, some of these offenses are going to be extremely strong in the NFC. Let's get the ball to Tony Pollard in space out of the backfield, dump down and give him a little bit of Austin Eckler treatment. I think that's his path. Um, wanted to kind of switch over with the running backs here and talk about these rookies. Bijan Robinson, locked top 10 pick anywhere you draft. Jameer Gibbs has now moved up to like the fringe of RB1 land. I think they're both appropriately priced. I wanted to pick your brain though on some other rookie running backs. It always seems to be an edge that we get by drafting rookie running backs, uh, especially we see a lot of hits from the guys that are maybe not the top two. Are there any guys that you're just standing for this year that you're drafting a lot of that you think have like real high upside, maybe some contingent upside uh, that you're super into? Uh, not a lot of ton of guys stand out this year in this class. Obviously, I mean, you know, we've seen guys like Tank get get steamed up uh, with the Jaguar situation. The the interesting thing with a lot of these teams in the running back landscape that's a little different this year than years past is that, you know, these teams have so many like veteran guys that are capable of playing passing downs uh, that could be like potential thorns and all this because we don't typically see rookie running backs, especially ones that don't come with good draft capital, play on passing downs or get trust entrusted with actual pass protection assignments. Um, so that kind of makes things tricky. Like, cause you, you know, initially you want to say Roshan Johnson, right? You do. Cause the situation there uh, in the backfield is very ambiguous. Like I want to say checks all these boxes, right? I want to say, I want to say Devon a chain right now. Yeah. Which, but it's, Roshan stick with that one. Yeah. But it's like, you, but then you look at the situation. It's like, they have a veteran guy that could play, passing downs in in Travis Homer if they trust that he's been he's going to be active for special teams in the first place uh every week one of those guys is going to be uh, probably a healthy and active uh, I, my, my money would be on Deontay Foreman but what if it is Roshan to start the year it's like a non-zero chance that he could be like a healthy scratch to start the year too uh and then you've got the Justin Fields factor uh, again we talk about these these guys who put mobile quarterbacks like they're going to take some touchdowns they're going to take targets away from you so does he have kind of the requisite ceiling I don't really think so uh, yeah, H.A. would be the guy like you kind of when you just start crossing off all the boxes you get to. I think uh, we're just waiting to see what Miami does because they've been sniffing around, you know, Dalvin. But uh, he fits the kind of mold because when you look at H.A. coming out as a prospect, he's almost a clone of what Raheem Mostert was coming out as a prospect. Raheem Mostert was like 190 pounds, you know, coming out of Purdue uh, fast as hell, running that outside zone like it's it's literally him. It's like replacing, you know, Raheem Mostert at age 32 and then just bringing in the new guy to be your new Raheem Mostert. Well, that kind of puts a little, little cold water on my Devon A-Chain love to, for the, you know, to be the next Raheem Mostert. But uh, I'll, I'll aim a little higher than that, Rich. But I think that's the that's the reasonable that compares. Well, hopefully he won't have to cut his teeth on special teams for four years uh, yeah. before he gets an actual shot. But uh, Raheem Mostert, I mean, because there's another, you know, multiverse where he you know, gets an opportunity earlier and we get to see some of his talent uh, on an NFL field before we had to wait five years for him to great story for him. Most though. There's so many NFL running backs where, you know, you think if they would have maybe landed in a different situation or were viewed differently by a different coaching staff, they would have blown up. It's such a difficult position and there's so many talented guys. One guy I want to quickly just touch on because of the news this week, you know, we've been very lucky with a lack of injuries, but we did have one big signing was DeAndre Hopkins with Tennessee. You're starting to see him as a late fourth rounder. Um, he's he's late fourth-ish on underdog and in FFPC, a little bit higher NFFC. Where are you at with him? Last year, he averages over nine targets a game. He never averaged lower than 14 and a half points per game in Tennessee, or excuse me, in Arizona. And now he comes to a Tennessee team, which you know is a little more run-heavy to say the least. Uh, big dog still in the backfield. And Mike Vrabel, you know, that's kind of been his M.O. Where are you at with DeAndre Hopkins? Do you think he's a guy that you're going to target, a guy you're going to avoid, maybe a neutral on him? Yeah, more or less the latter. I think he's very much in that same guy, group of guys we talked about, Chris Godwin and Deontay Johnson. Like structurally, if you're someone that have gone running back heavy and you're looking for stable wide receiver points at like wide receiver two, wide receiver three, he fits those types of builds. Uh, if you're looking for something like more swing from the heels, like is DeAndre Hopkins now moving to Tennessee? Is, am I scared he's going to beat me? Probably not now at this point. 
Uh, because remember, too, we look at the Arizona stuff, the targets were there and the production was there, but he also ran the most pass routes in the NFL over that span because of the situation the Cardinals were in. Like, that's not going to happen in Tennessee. The target per route stuff is going to be good and it's going to be solid. The team target share stuff is going to be solid, but he's just not going to be running as many routes as he did in Arizona. Um, he's also 31. He turned 31 in June. He's missed time the last two years with hamstring injuries. And he averaged a career low yards per catch. So, like, am I scared, like, that guy's going to beat me? And then you're not even adding in the layer of what if Will Levis plays at some point. Uh, so, like, am I scared DeAndre's going to beat me? Probably not, right? But he does structurally fit some builds where, like, if you are looking for wide receiver production and, like, a baseline level, like, he does fit those rosters. And then how how does this make you view Traylon Burks? Because Traylon was a guy that – you know, Billy Muzio and I talked about as one of our big targets for, for months and a guy that looked like he was going to smash his ADP. Now you get into a potential like target squeeze with D hops there. You haven't seen a secondary receiver in the Ryan Tannehill era ever see more than 92 targets. Does Traylon around like wide receiver 40 suddenly be like a, a great value to you, Rich, or are you treading lightly? I mean, can you bring up the hamstring injuries? Traylon certainly has uh, contingent upside now. Yeah, I think that's what you're looking for, just the the historical trends of betting on year two wide receivers, right? Like, I just I want to come into drafts and I want to draft rookies and year two wide receivers, right? Like, those are the two biggest, like, career spikes, like, where you're going to get, like, a guy just destroying, like, his, his ADP. So the fact that Burks is probably going to slide a little bit now, we've seen him just a little bit, so, like, Add a year two guy to your bench, right? That has contingent value and has, you know, pedigree and upside. I think that's where he kind of fits in right now, where you're just taking some blind shots on the, that that kind of like wide receiver. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically it, really. I don't know because it's this situation is so tough. Like the one guy I think that's not really impacted the most, and it's only because of the position he plays is is a Conquo just because tight end is such a low bar position, like a Conquo could have 90 targets and still be like a back end tight end one because he's that because there's the position just lacks so many guys that have like actual athletic upside. Uh, so I, I don't think we have to run away from Unconquo still. That's a good, that's a strong take rich though. Cause I think a lot of people were, were naming him the big loser here. I certainly saw it that way, but uh, he plays tight end, man. He yeah, that's right. End. That's right. That's right. For sure. Uh, wanted to stick with the tight ends here. Cause you had some interesting takes about the edge of Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey, you know, we're, we're seeing him, as the overwhelming tight end one, there's no, like last year you saw some, some pits sliding up. You've seen years before Mark Andrews going a little bit closer to Kelsey. Now it's like Kelsey in an FFPC tight end premium. He's a locked top five guy mm-hmm. in underdog. You're seeing him like usually going off the board around pick seven. Uh, but you think there might be a little less of an edge this year with using that first round pick with Kelsey. And I think it spoke more, uh, if I'm reading this correctly, Rich, it's, it's you believe the tight end position behind him is looking stronger. Yeah, Kelsey's definitely my tight end one. And yeah. he's, uh, I, th- I don't think there's any reason he shouldn't be the tight end one. I mean, he's he's led the position in scoring, what, six of the past seven years. And the one time he did, and he was second. Yeah. Uh, seems pretty good. Seems pretty good bet. Plays the best quarterback in the NFL. Uh, pretty good, pretty good player. But from now, when you're taking him with this elite capital, He's there's just no way he's a great bet to have the positional leverage he had last year. You look at last year's tight end two, TJ Hawkinson, it was the fewest number of points that a uh, tight end two had in a season since 2016. Uh, he only produced 68% of Travis Kelsey's PPR output. That was the lowest uh, rate of production the tight end twos produced compared to the tight end one in the past 30 years of football. In Kelsey's other seasons where he did lead the position, I mean, you look at the other years, it was the tight end two had 94%, 97%, 95%, 88%, 89% of Kelsey's output. Um, so it's just like a, from a base rate stance, there's going to be someone better than there was a year ago behind him. And then also I think when you look at the tight end position, because the way defense have now structurally made the middle the middle field more open than ever in the NFL, teams are playing more of that too high stuff. You know, everyone knows about the, the too high safety stuff. Uh, but if you look at tight ends from a positional group last year, they had their largest share of league-wide targets and receptions of the past seven years. Uh, their 20.8% share of league-wide receiving yards was the highest for a group since 2013. But when you look at what happened to the tight end one group last year, the amount of injuries, Mark Andrews, remember Mark Andrews was paid neck and neck with Kelsey yeah. before he got hurt. 
Uh, Kyle Pitts gets hurt the back half of the year. Darren Waller's hurt the entire season. Pratt Firemuth plays through multiple injuries. Dalton Schultz gets hurt. Dallas Goddard picks up a midseason injury. Um, but when you combine like the way that the tight end position is being used more than ever, and then you say like, well, these guys maybe will just have better injury fortune coming into this year. Um, I just think the field's going to be better. And you can inherently use that to your advantage, especially if you're not a team taking Kelsey. Like, you're going to be able to probably have more outs of making up that ground. And if you're someone using a premier capital on Kelsey, which I think is harder this year than ever before because of the way wide receivers are coming off the board, just knowing you're not going to just get that influx of positional leverage you had in 2022 is is massive. It's it's massive. It makes him hard to pick, even before you start factoring and stuff like, well, is he – He's the oldest player non-quarterback we've taken in the first round ever in fantasy football. Um, is, does eventually he get hurt? Eventually, there's all these other elements that come into play there. But I think the biggest thing is that you just know you're not going to have as much leverage as you had last year, and you need wide receivers at an earlier point than you've ever needed them. Yeah, I also think that like the the especially when we talk like a best ball lens, like when you take Kelsey mm-hmm. and then you follow up with Mahomes, you're playing even more catch up oh, with yeah, wide yeah. receiver. And you're really trying to, and you're seeing a lot of that in FFPC as well, where you're almost saying like, I'm trying to thread the needle with those money weeks. Um, but it's, it's a difficult bet to make. You're, you're going to play catch up at wide out. You're going to also play ca- big time catch up at, uh, at running back. So I agree with you. You brought up a Conquo. Uh, that was an interesting take and, and I loved it. Give me a couple other t- uh, tight end targets of yours, Rich, or a couple guys you just really like at ADP. So I think right now with the current drafting meta, and we might change because obviously we've only been really drafting largely on, on underdog in these best ball drafts. By the time we get the general public leagues, like we could see some of this stuff balance out. Uh, but I think that the way you're playing tight end front, it's hard to take a, a tight end early this year. I just think it's really hard. You're playing too much catch up at the other positions, too much opportunity cost this year. Uh, so I'm usually at the point where I'm drafting teams. The first guy that stands out to me is Pat Fryermuth. Like the Steelers, like throughout this whole series that I've done, just they pop in all these offensive regression metrics. And that doesn't mean they're going to be a great offense, but they're set up to have a lot more passing production this year than last year. Uh, Pat Farmer's a guy who made a nice second year jump. Uh, he's got the pedigree. He's got the talent. And the, the way Pittsburgh's also, when I talk about that regression, they're tough to play because Najee's a very uninspiring pick where he goes. And then Deontay Johnson, we already talked to. So Pat Fryer was kind of like the first guy at ADP that I always look at. And then I think Pickens and Jalen Warren are the other interesting guys on that roster. But tight end, I find myself gravitating the most to at ADP at cost Pat Fryer for sure. If I'm in the mid rounds and I'm kind of just looking for that, like David and Joku, like maybe outcome, I'm looking at guys like Nkankwo and Greg Dulcich to maybe have some upside uh, late round guys. Um, I know rookie tight ends are like historically just a bad bet, but man, I love Sam Laporta so much. He's just such a demon. He was one of my favorite guys to like watch last year in the draft process. He's in a situation I think that's positive outcome for him too. I mean, obviously everyone remembers how much the Lions threw to their tight ends last year in the in the red zone. It was Shane Zilstra three touchdown game. Uh, and then Juwan Johnson definitely is a guy uh, I like. Uh, you're worried about a little bit more of the pass volume there, but at that point at ADP, you're just trying to run in some touchdown stuff. But he's a guy that is very much in that archetype of a Darren Waller who had success with Derek Carr. He he runs the types of routes and gets the usage we want at tight ends. So we don't want our tight ends blocking and doing all this other dumb shit. We want their guys to run pass routes. We want them getting vertical targets. We want them not lining up in line. John Johnson kind of checks up all checks all that stuff. And then the other guy that I think is uh, really late that I love throwing darts on is, is Tyler Conklin, man. Uh, yeah. you know, Tyler Conklin, there's only been nine tight ends the last two years that have had more than 50 catches and 500 yards in both of the past two seasons. And Tyler Conklin's one of those guys, 17% of his targets last year were deemed inaccurate by the quarterback. It was the highest rate of any tight end to have as many targets as, as him. Um, so getting Aaron Rodgers, you know, are we going to get a big pop Tunyon season out of Conklin? Probably not. We're not going to chase that, but he could be a nice little touchdown boon. And for a player that's already been a little bit more productive and had more spike weeks the past years. And I think people realize. Yeah, I love the Conklin call. Josh Larkey, that was his his big sleeper tight end as well. He cited the same stat you did um, about his how consistent he's been the last two years. I love the Fryermuth call. I love having guests on that confirm my priors, Rich. And on Sonic Truth, I said I think Pat Fryermuth is going to be a top three tight end this year. I think this is his big bump. Uh, partly was the it's a lot of it's the positive touchdown regression. We saw him as a big touchdown scorer in year one. Last year plays through injuries and yet still almost gets to 100 targets. He is like top 10 all time in most targets his first two seasons in the league as a tight end. I think he's a really, really good player and a guy that I love at ADP. 
Um, wanted to talk touch on quarterbacks, but uh, before we do that, you wrote this tremendous piece on red zone statistics and production. Last year, the four teams with the highest rates of reaching the red zone per drive were the Kansas City Chiefs, Detroit Lions, Philadelphia Eagles, and Buffalo Bills. So obviously, it's a, a very good uh, predictive stat with offenses that smash in fantasy. What can we learn from this, and what were what are a few of the offenses that look like they will regress, and a few of the offenses that look like they could kind of be fantasy gold in 2023? Yeah, yeah. I know you have a, a hard out, so I'll be no, right no, no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push it. I'll be <laughs> late right. to my meeting, Rich. You're, you're uh, crushing it. Well, this article in particular is free on the site, so so we could guide people to it and and, and check it out. But uh, uh, you could dig in deep here. But yeah, I mean, you you look at it from like a a, a, a stance. I break down all of like where touchdowns come from uh the kind of the historical trends of where teams kind of flip and, and regress uh you look at like teams like the cowboys and chiefs like they scored uh on over 70 percent of the red zone trips uh there have been 14 other teams and and since 2010 to hit that kind of arbitrary mark and not one of those 14 teams uh ha- has done better the following season they've all had like a decrease in, in red zone production the chiefs even even say like they're one of these teams that are consistently good you go back to 2018, the Chiefs, like they had this like a massive, you know, explosion passing and touchdown production, and they regressed pretty hard the next year. Now they were still like near the front end of the league. You don't have to run from all regression. Like the Chiefs are still a good offense in 2019, but they, they scored 20 fewer offensive touchdowns, which is a huge deal for fantasy football, right? Uh, so they're, they're, they're teams we should expect to score fewer touchdowns here. The Eagles have consistently popped in all these articles to score fewer touchdowns this year. doesn't mean we have to run and hide from them and the Eagles are going to be a bad offense by any means, but we should expect them to score fewer touchdowns this year. Uh, the teams that definitely pop, uh, with them, uh, the lions pop a little bit in the stuff, but on the negative end, the Broncos, the Ravens and the Steelers have been three teams that have just consistently popped in like all these articles of like just multiple areas, like not just one thing. It's like where I'm not going to hang my hat in one area of regression uh, and go to bed with that. But like when you just see the marriage of every single layer, like converting yards, to touchdowns, touchdown dispersal, uh, the rate of scoring plays where they touchdowns or field goals, like those three teams consistently pop in like every single article. Um, so yeah, Broncos, Ravens, Steelers guys, definitely are, you want to get some pieces. Yeah, I love that. And the the Ravens, obviously, you know, Andrews and, and Lamar Jackson really, really pushed up in ADP. You're starting to see Zay Flowers push up a little bit and Dobbins. Uh, but those Steelers are are super affordable. We talked about Muth. We talked about Pickens. Uh, Kenny Pickett is free. Jalen Warren is very affordable. Uh, and Denver, I love that one, Rich, because uh, I think that that's a, that's a fun team where you can actually afford to to build stacks. So I'm, I'm with you. I, lo- I love that. Now, tell me a couple offenses. You brought up Minnesota. Are there any other offenses you're worried about this year that maybe had a little, got a little, I don't hate to use the word lucky, but fortunate last year? I mean, the Cowboys definitely stand out a little bit. They, you know, it's crazy because you know, a lot of people think like the Cowboys, like Dak Prescott had like this terrible year because he had the, the interceptions, the turnovers, and they all weren't his fault. Uh, but they, they, they pop in a few of these things. Like obviously the huge red zone conversion rate, uh, and then, you know, how does the Kellen Moore losing Dalton Schultz, Zika play into that? We'll see. Um, but then they, they, they were a team that scored 10 touchdowns over expectation too, as well. So like, it's like, there could be some pullback in that department. Um, but then, yeah, the consistent, like I said, the chiefs and Eagles are the teams that stand out, but like, we don't, when everyone hears the word regression, they think like, oh, that means I have to avoid these guys. Right. Like in the context of 2023, the Eagles and chiefs are still going to probably be good offenses. Like now, are they going to be the best offenses? Like they were last year. That is probably something that has like a thinner range of outcomes, but I would still anticipate them being good offenses in the context of this year no that makes a lot of sense and definitely check out the article i i tweeted it out i'll retweet it as well uh sometimes like i i told rich it's like sometimes the 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 articles that you you think are going to be like simple end up just kind of blowing my mind i thought it was one of the best things i've read all month uh and i told rich i really wish i would have thought about and wrote it myself so that's a big big hat tip to you for for crushing it with that one they got to get into the quarterbacks rich uh this is your mo it's getting more and more difficult to I, to find these edges because they're all getting like pushed up and up and up. Uh, I want to first pick your brain on the big three. You have it as Jalen Hurts as QB one, Mahomes is two, Allen is three. I'm correct on that one. Uh, yeah. So where do you think the edge is for drafting those guys in a single quarterback redraft league right now? How high are you willing to push that tier of quarterbacks up? Man, it, it, here's the thing about it. 
it's being the first guy to take a quarterback is very tough because you don't know when QB two is going to come off the board, right? You're at the mercy. Like you could say, I could give you an answer and say Jalen Hurts is like worth a, a, a three, four turn pick. Right. But what if Josh Allen then goes two rounds later? Yeah. So like that's, it's always really hard. Now that granted, like you probably will see those guys be grouped together. Uh, they'll nest together in ADP, but like you still are at the mercy when you take QB one of not knowing when QB two is coming off the board. And like, do you forego just like a massive amount of opportunity cost? So it's always very hard. I do think like that subset of quarterbacks, we've seen the Konami code change, right? Like when I wrote that article 10 years ago, it was that people were unwilling to draft perceived bad quarterbacks, right? Like people are like, I'm not going to take him. He sucks, but you don't count for like the rushing, right? Or you're talking about guys like Tim Tebow and, uh, you know, Cam Newton, guys like that. It's like, well, I, I, he's he's not a good quarterback. Why would I want him in fantasy football? And it's like, you know, highlighting the weight that rushing production had. But now we're not getting like that type of quarterback anymore. Like we had Taysom Hill two years ago. Justin Fields was kind of throwback economy last year. Uh, but now we're getting these guys coming to the league that are coming with like passing acumen. They're great athletes and they throw the football for 4,000 yards. Like when you have like a season like Lamar Jackson in 2019, Jalen Hurts like that last year. It's hard to combat those guys. Like Josh Allen's over 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. The like, And then he's rushing for 700. It's like, it's hard for fantasy football to combat that with the guys that can now throw and run. And we've seen that subset of quarterback really just dominate ADP for obvious reasons. So the, 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 the gamers know, man, the gamers know. And there's a finite amount of those guys, even though more coming into the league. Uh, that's the hardest thing on Justin Fields. Cause like, I am kind of like, there is some trepidation with Justin Fields at his ADP just because he takes a leap of faith. He's been such a bad passer and like, can he just flip it around? And the, my biggest concern at Fields, he's been such a bad like sack taker and it goes back to Ohio state, like the negative plays. So like, if we don't get that passing jump because you have to at his ADP now at Justin Fields, ADP, you have to have it. He has to flirt with 25 to 30 passing touchdowns. He just has to. Uh, at that ADP. Um, but when you start breaking these guys into like tiers, like it still makes way more sense to take a swing on a guy like Justin Fields over a Joe Burrow, over a Justin Herbert, over a Trevor Lawrence, because those guys are like the running backs we talked about. Like they're like the Nick Chubbs, the Jonathan Taylors. Like for Joe Burrow to be the QB one overall, like he has to throw 40 passing touchdowns and maybe has to flirt with 50 to be the actual QB one. And he's the guy that even gives you a little bit of rushing. He gives you a little but like the way that rushing is weighted and the way that these guys that have elite rushing production now have the capability to throw for 4,000 yards, to throw for 35 touchdowns, it's just really hard to kind of sword and shield that with guys that are largely passing based. No, I love it. And I think that uh, kind of the way that I'm approaching it with the, the big three is if I feel like the edge is gone, that's when I would dive into them. So if it becomes like a wide receiver I'm not so excited about mm-hmm. or running back, I think that's the way you, way you handle it. But want to kind of pick your brain quickly on Lamar Jackson because right now his ADP you bring up Joe Burrow when we started doing best balls you know people have been doing best balls all year rich but when people really started diving into it he was like right behind Burrow the positive vibes uh for Baltimore have, have risen him up and now he's going you know about 10 spots ahead of Burrow in most of these formats and he's about 5 spots behind Josh Allen now in some of these FFPC main events and players championship drafts uh so he's a make a pretty close to making it into a big four do you view lamar jackson um as incredibly close to the elite production of the big three or do you think that that's it's maybe getting a little bit uh too propped up no i definitely think he belongs because we've seen it right it it happened it's already happened and and that was that 2019 season came with, you know, Willie Sneed as his wide receiver too, and throwing touchdowns to Seth Roberts, uh, you know, uh, now you, you may, we can definitely poke holes in like the guys, the Ravens have added like on an individual basis. Like, what are we going to get out of Odo Beckham at his age post missing a year at ACL? Like is Rashad Bateman going to stay healthy? Is Zay flowers? Like you can, we can kind of poke holes in those guys that hitting add Nelson Aguilar or that, but when you collectively, put them together versus what the Ravens put on the field the past two years at wide receiver, especially last year. It's, it's just night and day, man. It's just, a, it's just front to back, a better collective sum of parts. And then you add in likely and Mark Andrews still being there. Uh, then you add in Todd Monken being there. And not only are the Ravens going to throw more or Todd Monken, like they're going to play with pace. Like look at all of Monken's teams. Like they play with tempo 
And they've already, you've already seen that with the Ravens, like talk about this in camp, like playing with tempo is going to be a larger thing uh, this season. So it kind of, you, you put all these things together with Lamar and he maybe, maybe he's not as uh, comfortable as a pick of those top three because he has maybe a, a lower floor outcome like he's had the last two years, but he still has that requisite ceiling. And like, if you're playing for a quarterback, like he's that archetype of guy. He just is like, if you're talking about guys that have the best odds to be the QB one overall front to back for the season. Like he's just drawing live after those guys. It just is. Yeah. I I'm, I'm with you. Like, I think that I'm, I'm really buying into it and I hope I'm not overdrafting these Ravens, but you bring up the Mark Andrews earlier in the show about what a red hot start he got to last year. Lamar Jackson from the beginning of last year, um, was actually outscoring how he started out 2019. So like we saw it and I really do believe in Munkin and, and the additions that they've they've added to that offense. It's really gonna, you know, make Baltimore extremely productive and it's Lamar Jackson season, man. The, uh, the final 14 weeks last year, 14 weeks of the NFL season, the Ravens wide receivers had one touchdown. I mean, it was a it was a it was a trash heap. It was like <laughs> it was like a, a practical joke. It was like the, you know, Demarcus Robinson. Uh, you know, leading them and it's, it was, it was tough. It was tough. But now, like, even if we don't believe in Odell this year producing fantasy wise, I think the fact that Baltimore went out and got him like was a, a showing that they're, they're serious about this. And then they use the draft capital on Zay Flowers right after giving Lamar the big contract. I mean, it was very exciting. And I also think that like kind of the way they ignored the running back position means they think Dobbins is going to be fine this year and, and in for a big season. So I'm I'm all in, man. I think Baltimore's great. But one edge that I'm looking at is your quarterbacks from like 10 on. I specifically wanted to pick your brain on Anthony Richardson, Dak Prescott. We'll throw Tua Tungavailoa in that mix. And then two quarterbacks that I'm kind of into at ADP, Daniel Jones and Geno Smith. When we look at that tier of quarterbacks, Rich, who are the ones that could really crack into the top three? Because I think it one thing's, you know, to look at it from a best ball lens where, you know, we're trying to build these stacks. But I think when we're talking about redraft, I want to be able to draft the guy from that range that can really crush it ADP wise, not just hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are you most excited about with that group of quarterbacks? I think when you look at that group, like just from our typical stance, you would you would say Deshaun Watson still is the guy that has has it higher in his range of outcomes to to flirt with that. Uh, he did still have the rush when he came back last year. He does take a leap of faith to kind of say like, well, how much do we throw the baby out of the bathwater of last year? Was it just the time missed? Was it the uh, the situation the Browns came in? They they were their offensive line was in flux at that point. The wide receivers were in flux at that point. They played two terrible weather games. Like, how much of a hall pass do we give him? Uh, when you look at like the history of guys like Deshaun Watson, like you got to go back to Dante Culpepper to kind of really find a guy that was as good as Deshaun Watson was over the first five years of his career. And then just kind of like, wasn't good again. And Culpepper even had some mitigating circumstances. Like he had the knee injury, Randy Moss retiring. He's a little older than Deshaun Watson's at this point. So like he still checks off enough of the boxes. Uh, I think when you go like a step further, uh, Gino still really stands out. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like only Patrick Mahomes had, had as many games with multiple passing touches as Gino did last year. He's the only quarterback. And do you add Jackson Smith and Jigba? There's like a huge signal. They're going to play more uh, three wide receiver stuff this year. Uh, you look at the, where he's going drafts. He's QB 15. Um, the schedule is amazing. Uh, you have the early bye week, which is kind of a drawback and like a kind of a shitty week 14 through 16 spot for him where they play Dallas, San Francisco and Philadelphia. But, they, you know, you get Rams, Lions, Giants, Cardinals in the front of the season. You get games against the Bengals and Lions that could be just outright pinball games. Um, then you look at the red zone stuff. Like, they were – Seattle was a team I talked on the red zone. Like, they lacked a, a bunch of red zone plays. But they were behind the Chiefs in aggressiveness in the red zone. They were behind the Chiefs in pass rate inside the 10, and they were behind the Chiefs in pass rate inside the 5. They didn't run a lot of plays in that area of the field. So if they just get more – reversion to more pass volume yeah it just seems like he's way too low and it's not a one-year thing with Gino people keep saying that's just one year he outplayed Russell Wilson that stretched the the year before like when the the offense was better when Gino Smith played in 20 in 2020 21 when he had played that four game stretch um so he I think he has a grasp on this system and like has a a really good surrounding core uh definitely just seems like an outright bargain right now yeah, I know. I'm totally with you. I, I love Gino, and it's kind of like every year we wanted to we'll let Russ cook. They let Gino cook. You had some like really, really big games, and uh, 
then you know Richie gets paid, and then they go draft my favorite wide receiver from this draft in Jackson Smith and Jigba, and then they draft Zach Charbonnet. So we didn't love that for Ken Walker, but we certainly like it for Geno Smith, the weapons he has around him. Uh, Rich, you've been extremely generous with your time. We've gone over an hour here. Um, why don't you let everybody know where they can find your work um, and definitely check out some of Rich's free stuff is is up on the site right now. It's tremendous. Uh, you know, if you want to read about his quarterback profiles, that's free on the site. It's tremendous, like, you know, well, well thought out rankings with some context behind them. Uh, and yeah, thanks again, Rich. Let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, sharpfootballanalysis.com. You know, we're turning out the draft kit uh, this summer. Definitely very excited that we've kind of turned the corner here. Camps are going to open. Feels like football's on everyone's brains right now. It's uh, it, it definitely feels like we've reached that point of the season. But yeah, just check out that work. I'm on Twitter at Lord Reeves. Uh, I, I don't know what Threads is doing right now, but I am over there too as Lord Reeves. Yeah, I'm I'm over there too, uh, <laughs> but I haven't. I you know that 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 was a, that was a fun couple of days where people thought Twitter was going to explode. We're never leaving Twitter. No one's leaving Twitter, guys. Um, anyway, this was awesome. Check out my episode of First Class Fantasy yesterday with Billy Muzio. We covered a lot. And I want to highly recommend First and 15. First and 15's on every Thursday evening on Player Profiler. Abibag Batoba, Dio Adesai, and Chris Henderson. Uh, they're really, really putting out tremendous work. Uh, and if you like press coverage, I know you're going to love First and 15. Uh, and then stick with us all next week. Next week is going to be crossover week on Player Profiler, where a number of different hosts are going to be hosting different podcasts. You'll have a surprise uh, a surprise host for press coverage. Uh, and uh, I, you'll have a couple surprise uh, guests on Mind the Mansion, Sonic Truth Pod. It's going to be a really, really fun week. Uh, thanks again, Rich, and everybody enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.